Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get into today's episode, lots of great topics on hand. I wanted to address the information that came out yesterday, more information, more scrutiny surrounding Washington owner Dan Snyder. Now, I'm not going to dive too deep into it. Um, This is the man that used to sign my checks for multiple years with Washington, so I'm going to give my opinion on it, and I want to move on from there um, and focus on football. That's the main primary source uh, here. You know, That's what we're going to be talking about, strictly football. But um, with the information that came out yesterday and Washington and Dan Snyder and, and whoever's kind of part of that hierarchy, um, whether it's shareholders, etc., um, this is a point in the franchise's history to where when is it going to be the time to potentially get Snyder out of office. Um, From Bruce Allen, Vinny Serrato, Scott McLuhan, Jay Gruden, the turmoil off the field for Washington since the turn of the century, since Snyder took ownership, um, has been abysmal. And it's led to the lack of success on the field. And then when you look off the field and everything that's gone on, whether it's just been in the last 18 months, or over the last 5, 10, 15 years, things that have come out, over, the, especially the last few years, about Snyder. Um, I don't know if this will be the, the straw that broke, you know, that breaks the camel's back, so to say. But what I do know is that nothing will change surrounding the Washington franchise, whether it's success on the field or how they run things from a football perspective or business perspective, until Dan Snyder is no longer the team of the burgundy and gold that simply won't change and it's been a long lasting cloud of uncertainty since he's been the owner but the crazy thing is is that there is a hierarchy of owners in the nfl it's dan snyder it's jerry jones in dallas it's robert Kraft in new england and roger goodell who's obviously been a longtime commissioner There are politics that are involved in sports, whether it's football, hockey, baseball, basketball. There's politics involved in it on the field and off the field. And unfortunately, from Washington's perspective, Dan Snyder is a part of that hierarchy. So who knows how long, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's two years from now or longer, until Dan Snyder is able to sell the team or the NFL forces him to sell the team, nothing, in my opinion, will change until he's gone. And I know that's the opinion probably of a lot of you out there, but I just wanted to address that real quick, um, considering the fact that we all want Washington to to succeed and a franchise that has three Super Bowl titles, but has been, you know, completely irrelevant since Mark Rippon left in the nineties. Um, there's been flashes of success when Joe Gibbs came back and when Sean Taylor was here and Clinton Portis days and Brad Johnson led them to the playoffs or the Todd Collins run, Rex Grossman, drafting RG3, their success with Kirk Cousins when Alex Smith came in before he had that traumatic injury against the Texans. There's been some flashes of success in D.C., but being able to work past mediocrity, 
above that threshold to where you're constantly competing, not just in the division, but in the conference and getting back to the glory days of what has been one of the most historic franchises in football may not ever be sustainable or being able to, uh, you know, a reachable goal unless Snyder is out of office. So, but again, I want to stick to football. Let's stick on the field. And I want to dive into the topics today of some quarterbacks from the second tier of this class, not your Willis's or Pickett's. I wanted to look at Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, and Sam Howell. And then I wanted to talk about some of the expectations I'm looking out of for Chase Young in his third year. It's crazy to think he's in his third year already. And Montez Sweat in his fourth year within a defense that is expected to be dominant this fall with the league's easiest schedule. So I wanted to start out first with the quarterbacks. And right now at the top of the class, it's Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. And you look at it right now and rumors flying around the league that Willis will go too. Ritter could go also in the top 10, whether it's Carolina at six, whether it's Atlanta. And then where does Pickett fall? Does he go to Seattle at nine? Does he go to Carolina? Does he go to Atlanta? Does someone trade up for a quarterback, whether it's potentially New Orleans or it's Pittsburgh and they're not settled with Mitch Trubisky. So I want to start with Desmond Ritter, who is my QB1 in this class and has been for some time. And the biggest thing for me before heading down to the Senior Bowl was looking at Ritter and watching that Notre Dame film of him four or five times over and against one of the top defenses in the country and seeing his leadership, his ability to command an offense, his dual threat ability, and what makes him so special and unique in my opinion and why he is my QB1 is it matters if you're able to lead grown men. And going from college and you're leading 19, 20, 21 year olds, it's a difference between going into an NFL locker room and leading men that are 29, 30, 35, 40 years old, potentially, that have families and have been in the business a long time. And they got plenty of NFL years you know, of experience under their belt. And when you look at Desmond Ritter, how he carries himself as a new father, as a leader for the Cincinnati Bearcats, leading them to their first ever CFP appearance this fall. A guy that's ability to deliver it to all levels of the defense with some zip, with some velocity, with some pepper on the football. He's working on his accuracy. I think that's the biggest knock on him. But I think some of the times when you watch his film this year at Cincinnati, it was a lot of off-balance stuff. It was trying to play some hero ball. But once he becomes comfortable in an offense, he has an excellent base, excellent mechanics. He's plenty big enough to see over the offensive line, doesn't have to maneuver outside the pocket. Scott Turner's not going to have to slide protections if if Washington were to potentially take him in the second round when they're sitting on the board at 47 or they want to trade up even into the late first round and grab him if they think he could be you know, the predecessor to Carson Wentz if they want him just on a prove deal no matter what. But Desmond Ritter was uber impressive throughout the year considering he's a pocket passer and a guy that when he moves outside the pocket and he goes to tuck the ball beyond the line of scrimmage, he's not just looking to gain three, four yards. He's a big-bodied guy. 6'3", 210 plus pounds. I could see him coming in and gaining some more strength when he works into an NFL strength and conditioning program. There have been some concerns around some of the Cincinnati prospects that they're not, you know, a huge powerlifting school, whether they're, you know, considering the fact you look at some of the SEC schools and just the difference in body types of some of the guys coming out. And you look at Cincinnati, whether it's Sauce Gardner or... It's Majai Sanders, the edge prospect out of Cincinnati this fall. Guys are kind of underdeveloped from a physical standpoint. and they got to get some more meat and some more muscle on those bones. Not saying they can't be successful, but 
for Ritter's perspective, coming into an NFL strength and conditioning program, one that's very, very well run by Chad Englehart, who's almost been in Washington for nearly 15 years. I believe this is his 12th or 13th year in Washington. But for Ritter in this offense and seeing what he did so well at Cincinnati, not having the best weapons on the outside, his wide receiver one was Alec Pierce, and he was nice to have Jerome Ford behind him, but he was the penultimate leader for that offense and for that roster and almost like a a head coach figure alongside Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. And you want a rookie that's going to be able to come in, you know, a first-year guy, be able to lead an offense and have that mentality to whether he comes in and doesn't get any starts this year or gets some, you know, rotational work almost to what like Marcus Mariota had in Las Vegas last year on certain packages or what Trey Lance did for the 49ers last year before ultimately Hopefully for Niners fans, you know, taking over for Jimmy G this, you know, this summer and this fall. But Ritter has everything you want from an on the field perspective and from a film perspective. And then you look at the type of man that he is. And through this evaluation process in Washington, had multiple formal interviews with him at the combine. They had multiple reps at his pro day. Is a guy that Washington should have interest in. And I would not be surprised if he is on the board at 47. Very, very high unlikelihood that he is there at 47. They may have to make move up. There are also rumors and some things flying around the league right now that he may go in the top 15 picks because of that leadership, because of that film that he's had this year. And it's hard to find guys that have that ability as a young man to come in and lead a locker room, whether he's a starter, whether he's coming in and having a redshirt year and working as a starter in year two. So Desmond Ritter, I don't think of him as a tier two guy. It's just... Throughout this evaluation process, it's always been Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett as kind of the poster childs of this QB class, if you will. But Desmond Ritter is my QB1. Thoroughly impressed with him throughout this process. And if he is on the board and Washington has a pick, hell, he goes 11. Who's going to say that Washington's wrong? I don't see it. Right? Carson Wentz is in town. They need a receiver. All the rumors with Chris Olave. I talked about that in the last podcast. But we don't know what in the world is going to happen with this draft as far as how it's going to play out on draft night. It makes it fun being a part of this business. It's going to be nuts on the night of April 28th in round one to see what happens, where these quarterbacks go, who ultimately goes you know, in the top five. Where does Kyle Hamilton fall? Could it be at 11? If he is there, I'm sitting here saying you know, potentially Desmond Ritter at 11. Kyle Hamilton's there. You take him. You could take Chris Olave, Jameson Williams. The options are endless. But again, let me get on back on track. To, to the quarterbacks, and Ritter's just a heck of a prospect. Um, so I wanted to move into the next guy, and that's Sam Howell. And I think looking at this year, and then looking at last year, and Washington wideout Deami Brown was his top target in 2020, the COVID season. Sam Howell battles his backside off. And if there's any quarterback in the class to put your name to as far as a guy that's going to come in, compete, battle no matter what the environment is it doesn't matter if he's in washington if he's in new orleans pittsburgh he's going to compete his tail off and last year he had an embarrassment of riches around him michael carter javante williams Jamie brown daz newsom all those guys are nfl talents now and he had an offensive line and then you look back to this year wide receivers aren't there he had josh downs he's a good receiver he'll be he'll come out next year as a potential day one or potentially day two wide receiver had Ty Chandler this year, but the offensive line was one of the worst in college football. And if you watched his matchup against Kenny Pickett and Pitt, Sam Howell spent more time on his back than he did upright. 
And it's an attribute to his toughness in the rain, in Pittsburgh, messy, cold, typical football game. He's slinging it down the field. I think he has all the tools in the book to be a tick above average starter in the NFL. I think when you look at that tier of Ryan Tannehill's, I think he's better than Sam Darnold for sure. I think you look at if he were to come in and potentially compete with with Daniel Jones in New York, granted they signed Tyrod Taylor. I don't think they signed Tyrod just to come in and hold a clipboard. That could be a situation for Sam Howell to come in and compete for starts if they want to have three quarterbacks with the potential to start. Sam Howell's got a lot of talent, and he's tough as nails. And someone that's going to come in and compete, that's all you can ask for, where he's going to probably fall in round three or potentially higher if team really, really likes his traits and intangibles and the ability that he showed in 2020 to sling it down the field with accuracy. And then you look at this year and his ability to add that ground game to his game as a bigger kid, the ability to run and make guys miss and whether go around you or through you as a runner of the football and keeping defenses honest to where they can't just play nickel all day long and bring in five, six DBs and just rush four. You know, they have to rush five, six, keep some guys honest near the box for him to be able to, you know, run the football. So adding that dynamic to his game and then coupling his ability to sling it down the field at every level with the aforementioned zip that I talked about with Ritter makes Howell an extremely intriguing prospect. Now, there are some things floating around the league to where he's a little bit lethargic at times. He seems a little uninterested, but if it were my opinion and getting to know Sam a little bit and seeing him throughout this evaluation process last year, moving into this year, holstering the entire North Carolina offensive workload on his shoulders every single week, it told me all I need to know about Sam Howell and what he could offer within an NFL offense and working within, you know, if he goes in day two and day three and probably being drafted somewhere where they just need a backup right now and potentially three, four years, maybe down the road, working into a starter's role within a team that has offensive weapons and an offensive line and a defense to where he doesn't have to score 25 plus points a game to keep his team in games. It could be a good spot for Sam Howell and Washington doesn't have a third round pick. They're back on the board in the fourth round. If they don't want to go Ritter potentially in the second round, if he's there, they don't want to go quarterback at 11, which is a very, very high unlikelihood that they do, considering obviously Carson Wentz is in the building, Taylor Heineke's in the building. But we know Ron Rivera likes competition. doesn't matter if it's a quarterback, D-tackle, you know, safety, linebacker, guys that compete, Ron Rivera likes him. And would not be surprised if Sam Howell, if he's there potentially in the fourth round, if that's where Washington goes as another quarterback in the building to potentially be their starter next year, potentially this year, considering the fact of the luck and success that Washington has had under center for the last few years. So with my praise of Ritter and Howell, I want to move to the last guy considered within tier two. He's not in my tier two. I don't know how he's in anybody's tier two. I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way. Maybe I do. And with my evaluation of Carson Strong from Nevada. But the main thing, that his elite trait, quote unquote, coming into this season was his big arm. And I made sure when we got live eyes on him down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl 
And throughout the evaluation process, and if you're able to stay up late and watch that Wolfpack offense go to work, and at times he flashed the ability to you know look at a guy and say, hey, he could be a late day two guy, early day three guy for, for somebody that wants to come in and have that bigger arm um, within their camp and, and kind of compete for snaps potentially down the road as a humongous project because of his limited ability to maneuver within the pocket and do anything outside of the tackle box. So I am, I will stand on the hill that seeing Carson Strong in anybody's rankings, I don't care if he's your QB3, QB4, I he's not on my draft board. And from the individuals around the league that I have spoken to specifically on his evaluation and where he slots, there's a few teams within this league that do not have him on their draft board. And it doesn't surprise me at all. It shouldn't surprise you. If you watch Carson Strong, turn on the film of the Senior Bowl. If you look at some of the practice film, now that's a small sample size. And like I said, you look at him at Nevada and there were definitely flashes of him ability to deliver it down the field with some accuracy, with some zip. But his main trait, like I said, was his big arm. Go to Mobile. A lot of the quarterbacks that are in those showcase environments want to take the shallow to intermediate throws to become comfortable in the offense. And the main thing when you go to those events is to not hurt your draft stock. I appreciated Carson Strong's willingness to deliver down the field. But when you're delivering down the field with jump balls, jackpot balls, everybody remembers the jackpot game. You'd play with your friends outside just throw it up in the air and hope for something. There's no drive to the football. There's no velocity on the ball. Accuracy was limited. Consistently wanted to showcase his big arm, his trait to hang your hat on. And it wasn't good. I'll, I, I want to leave it at that because I really don't want to go down the rabbit hole of bashing the kid, bashing the quarterback. But... As you go around Twitter, the Twitter sphere, you you look at different things online and, and you're seeing Carson Strong as a guy that some people peg with Washington in the fourth round or moving towards the latter half. I promise you, if Washington were to go the route of Carson Strong, whoever's in the building making the decisions from a quarterback perspective in the draft, the evaluators, the scouts, the cross-checkers, the process is skewed. Carson Strong is not an NFL quarterback. And again, all you can refer to back to him as a prospect is his arm. But then you watch him live and he's lobbing balls up in the air in the rain. It, it, the ball is wobbling. He he's, has concerns with his knee issues. I know some team doctors around the league have quote unquote cleared him for full activity. He hasn't been good in meetings, whether it was in Mobile, at the Combine. That's not somebody that you want to come in and be able to not only try to command, no pun intended, a NFL locker room, or try to lead an NFL offense on Sundays to to wins to put your team in the best potential spot to win football games. In a day and age where the air raid offense, which is what he runs at Nevada, there's only one team in football that runs the air raid offense, and that's the Arizona Cardinals. 
Now consider Carson Strong's skill set to Kyler Murray's. It's comparing apples to oranges or something even more dramatic. A Ferrari to a office chair on carpet as far as the mobility that I would compare Carson Strong's to. Um, again, let's not go down the rabbit hole with him, but when it comes to Strong and his projection as a pro, I don't see it. I think he could be someone, I think someone will definitely take a chance on him when you get into day three, whether it's in round four or in round six. But if you're Washington, from Washington's perspective right now, and what the league is so high on as far as guys that are able to do a lot of things from a dual threat perspective, ability to move outside the pocket, make throws on the run, command an offense, do a lot of things both pre-snap and post-snap. I think Carson Strong showed the ability. I liked his leadership in Mobile. He was definitely the most audible quarterback throughout the week. Loud in his cadences, showing some command of the offense, which was definitely a positive throughout the week. But if your one trait is your big arm, and you haven't showed the ability during this off-season process to sling it around. And the last look that we got in Mobile with a defense in front of him, the only quarterback in the Senior Bowl game to throw an interception, that was predictable considering the lack of success that he had throughout the week and trying to stretch everything downfield. The ball's hanging up in the air. There's no drive. You're going to have corners and safeties that are able to roam sideline to sideline and make plays on the ball when the ball's hanging up four or five seconds in the air. It's not a punt. It's a throw down the field. It's a whole shot. And you're trying to land it on the back shoulder of a receiver. You can't keep it up four or five seconds in the air. It's just a bottom line, right? I don't care what you're doing against Colorado State or UNLV. You got to the senior bowl and you're facing guys from major power five schools, guys with SEC talent, guys at ACC, Big Ten, guys that can do a lot of things on the outside, supreme athletes. You have to be able to drive the football at all different levels of the field and command an offense. And that starts with an ability, understanding to do a lot of different things. You don't have to have a crazy, crazy arm. We've seen guys in the league many a times every single year come in, not with the best of arms. I even like to look at Bailey Zappi in this year's class as a guy that was also down in Mobile that threw for 60 plus touchdowns this year and broke the FBS record for most touchdowns thrown in a single season. He doesn't have the crazy arm strength, but ability to have keyhole accuracy to the outside or working the intermediate areas and able to process a defense and realize, are they running man? Are they running zone? Where's the safety rolling to post-snap? Doing those different things and then having that necessary arm talent. Don't have to have a bazooka and throw it 100 miles an hour everywhere. I think we've seen that with Malik Willis and his ability to develop his touch. But you look at Zappi in Mobile, succeed and you look at what Carson Strong trying to showcase what he doesn't have when initially looked upon as something that he could have at the highest level of the game it makes me skeptical as far as his pro projection so that's where I am our Carson Strong Ritter and Howell from a quote tier two perspective but if I'm Washington and as I mentioned just a few minutes ago with with Ritter, with Howell, I would not be surprised if they end up in the Burgundy and Golds, the guy that Ron Rivera thinks could come in and be that both that dual threat option and leaders within their offense on day two or moving into day three with Howell. But when it comes to Carson Strong as a guy that's right behind the Pickett, Willis, Ritter, Howell train, pro projection is just not there for me right now. Wish him the best wherever he may land, but it's an NFL game. And we talk ball here and I'm not going to, you know, hire from anybody 
as far as an actual evaluation and a projection in this game. And I'm tired of seeing the Carson Strong talk on social media. We can turn on the film and watch him at the Senior Bowl and hearing things from around the league as far as his interview process, which matters a ton to teams. That's how teams separate guys or on, when they're on the table together and they have their resumes matched up left and right. Those are the things that matter. And from the quarterback position, a position that is the most important in potentially any sport in the world, you got to have guys in coming and make an immediate impact. And I don't see that with Carson Strong. have not seen that. So let's transition into the final topic of today. And I want to talk a little bit about Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And two guys that looked upon as one of the elite pass rushing duos in the NFL when Chase Young was drafted just a few seasons ago to pair opposite of Sweat. Last year was a bit of an anomaly. You know, Chase Young was hurt. Montez Sweat was hurt. But coming back this year after the season that John Allen had last year, a potential all-pro, in my opinion, didn't receive the necessary accolades that, you know, the success that he had along that interior and opening up everything, whether it was creases for linebackers to fill or pushing the pocket consistently on first, second, or third down, or clogging up running lanes on the goal line. The guy is everything, and he's a leader for this offense, and he's also a leader in the community. Guy from Stonebridge, just down the road from Ashburn. He's everything you want in a franchise cornerstone. But then you look to the outside, and Young and Sweat, and this year, with the teams that they will face, the tackles that they will face, the offenses, the quarterbacks that they will face, it should be a sack hunter's paradise. And I think the optimal scenario is Chase Young returns to 100% health. Whether he's at 85, 90% throughout the year, I think that's still better than 95% of the league's pass rushers considering the skill set that Chase Young has. The biggest thing for me coming into year three and, and the success that Chase had in year one and then kind of towards the back end of the year to where teams were beginning to figure him out just a little bit is his ability to have counter moves to offensive tackles as counters and ability to work inside. Not every time you have to work the outside and kind of bend that outside edge into that outside shoulder of the right tackle to where he usually aligns. I want to see him you know, stick that left foot in the ground and work to the inside and use his hands more and convert you know, speed to power because he has that ability to transition. He has that ability that we've seen to wrangle down ball carriers in the backfield and get TFLs. By no means is he potentially the athletic specimen that Montez Sweat is. We saw him you know, run his 40 at the combine in the four forwards and 260 plus pounds. His ability to run, his ability to, his long arms, you see him stand there and his arms are down below his knees. I mean, the dude is is a freak of nature. I think Chase is also along those lines. But as football players, and I talk about this a lot, not all athletes make good football players. But Montez Sweat and Chase Young are both great athletes and great football players. And they have to be the nucleus along that front seven. And Washington may have another young piece at linebacker this year. They had one in Jamin Davis last year. Young, Sweat, Payne, and Allen, and specifically on the outside, with Sweat and with Young, one of the most dynamic, on paper, pass rush duos in the NFL, got to get after the quarterback. And with those two guys there, with those two guys healthy, not every time. Now, we look at sack numbers, and sometimes we get swayed by, you know, oh, he's not getting sacks. What is their pressure rate? Because in the last few years, Montez Sweat has had one of the best pressure rates in football. And it was disappointing that, obviously, Chase Young 
went out last year and was hurt. He was on pace. He looked good early in the year. He looked healthy. You can see that comfortability that he starts to have. The game is slowing down for him in his second year last year before he got hurt. But moving into year three for Young and four for Sweat, everything is on the table for them to become pro bowlers and and potentially all pro guys. The talent is there. I think we all realize that. It's just putting it on you know onto film on Sundays and whether it's facing one-on-ones, whether it's facing double teams. Teams can't double chase. Teams can't double Montez and then hope for the best when you got John Allen and Deron Payne in the middle. And then you got Jamin Davis blitzing through the A and B gaps and Cole Holcomb come around on a stunt. There's a lot of different things you can do along that front four. So I think the main thing for those two, the expectations that I have, I expect both of them to both have 10 plus sacks this year. Those are my expectations. I think that's fine. I think that's what you should expect from two guys that you took in the first round and Chase Young as a second overall pick and a franchise cornerstone and the arguable face of that defense and potential face of the franchise right now. Those are guys that you need from week one to have success. We saw it in Chase Young's first game against the Eagles, had sack against Carson Wentz, ironically. So now moving into year three, should be healthy, plenty of rest, should be juiced up. And again, considering the fact that Washington will have the easiest schedule in football this fall, they got to get after the passer. Not every down has to be a sack, but just pushing the pocket consistently, making life hell for opposing quarterbacks. Expect that on a week-to-week basis from Sweat and Young, and their health will be of utmost importance, but expect a lot of big things from those two this fall. All right, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode of Commanding the huddle as always appreciate you listening and leave a like review share subscribe we're on apple podcasts we're on spotify wherever you find your podcast you can find us there you can follow me on social media at twitter at underscore ryan fowler as always my work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com check us out over there you can run our mock draft machine i know we're a few weeks away here from the start of the nfl draft so things will be kicking in to high speed. As always, again, thank you guys for tuning in and I'll see you next time on Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.